You are listening to the Scaling Culture Podcast, where we sit down with thought leaders who share their experiences building incredible workplace cultures. Carlos Adame is the Chief Human Resources Officer at Providence, which is the third largest not-for-profit in the United States with more than 115,000 employees, or caregivers as they like to call them, and with a 170-year-old legacy. Carlos brings over 25 years of leadership experience in leading significant organizational change and managing all aspects of human resources at well-known organizations. Carlos is also an associate professor teaching graduate-level human resources courses at USC Bovard College. Today, Carlos talks about the power of culture, how to deepen the employee's connections to the company's mission and values, how to identify a culture fit in candidates, and some key initiatives that allow Providence caregivers to make the world a better place. Welcome to another episode of Scaling Culture Podcast. I'm your host, Ron Lovett. And today, I am very excited to have Carlos Adome with us. Carlos, welcome. Thank you, Ron. Great to be here. Yeah, and you're in California, correct? I am, Southern California, city of Orange, California, specifically. Yeah, yeah. Look, I, I want to tell you, after our last conversation, I was, I really was excited. I mean, it's not often I get to speak to someone who, one, has incredible energy. Uh, so thank you for that, because I was energized after our talk. But also, you know, we talked a lot about the business, which we're going to dive into today, Providence, which is, which is a great company. But it's not often that that someone is beaming with the culture. I could feel the company culture from you in the conversation. You you, you actually didn't have, we, I could have just looked at you for 20 minutes and thought, wow, you work, you really love the company you work with and you love what you do. So anyways, that's great. I think the, uh, not many, I don't experience that that much. So that's great. Thank you, Ron. Appreciate it. So let's, let's dive into it. Um, I wanted to, let, let's just for our, our listeners, just give us an overview of Providence, the company, what they do, amount of employees. Sure, Ron, thank you. Um, well, Providence is the third largest not-for-profit health system in the United States. Uh, we're in seven different states across the Western United States. We're at a, a little over 25 billion in revenue. Uh, we have 51 hospitals, about a thousand clinics, uh, and 115 plus thousand caregivers. We call our employees caregivers. So it's a it's a large system. Uh, we have a health plan. Uh, we have uh, everything from acute care to home care. We have a digital innovation group. Um, we also have some investments in cutting edge technology, and have recently launched a um, services uh, business called Tegria. Uh, which will help uh, just enable better healthcare for everybody, not just Providence. Wow. And I know we talked last time and you said that you guys had the first COVID patient. Is, was it in the U.S.? Did I get that right? Correct. Yes. We had uh, the first COVID patient um, in the United States at uh, our Sacred Heart Hospital in Spokane, Washington. Um, and at the time, there was a lot of uncertainty, as you recall, back in the early part of the year, um, we quickly identified, did the testing, it was tested positive. So uh, fortunately or unfortunately, we have the longest actual experience with COVID um, of all health systems in the United States. And it sounded like you guys had a, you know, a very positive response. Like, like how did everyone, was everybody freaked out? Did they continue to come to work? What was the, what was the tone, the energy like on the ground? 
Yes to all of the above. Um, right. A lot of uncertainty. I mean, the first thing we did, and, and, and probably one of the reasons we have actually done well during um, COVID, is we put the safety of our patients and our, our caregivers first. That was the very first thing. We have a lot of smart people who got the latest research, made sure we had all the protective equipment and protocols in place, and were able to treat that patient, which fortunately um, got well and, and was um, was uh, sent home and, and is thriving now. Um, but uh, yes, a lot of uncertainty, a lot of worry. What I love about our caregivers is they show up. Um, we talked when we talked last time about mission and purpose, and, and I think that's what sets Providence apart and is very unique. Is uh, people who work here, myself included, come to serve. And if being of service is to care for an unknown disease, or at least what little was known about it, and to help make sure that our patients um, were treated and um, and and hopefully it was resolved. Um, it's what we do every day. And, and I, I'm, I'm really excited to dive into the culture. But before we do that, I wanted to ask you, you talked about the Million Mask Initiative. Tell us more about that. Yeah, thanks, Ron. So one of the first things that we had, because there was just an unknown and, and global supply chain um, just got disrupted completely, is that there was a shortage of equipment, protective equipment, not just in our system, but for the entire healthcare system in the United States and actually around the world. Oh yeah. Canada too. Yeah. in Canada, everywhere, there was just, we could not get enough. And it actually pointed to some of the vulnerabilities we have in the supply chain for health equipment that we have to, we have some better ways to do it now, um, painfully after a year of learning, almost a year of learning. So uh, one of the things that our um, chief clinical officer uh, did Amy Compton Phillips was to challenge the local communities. Uh, we're based in Renton, Washington, um, uh, not far from the Canadian border, and um, to come up and find a way to create quickly a million masks to help not just Providence, but everybody who needed them. Like, could we do that if, if we channeled our collective energy? And literally everybody showed up, Nordstrom, companies, large companies, small company, moms, grandmothers knitting 10 at a time. And it actually became, uh, it spread like wildfire. It ended up becoming a national initiative and, and, and going way beyond even the million that we imagined. But that was the type of um, spirit. It was the entrepreneurship and the um, resilience and rally to do something good and to do it well. And, and it was very uh, successful. It kept us going while the disruptions in the supply chain were being worked out. I mean, I, I love the story because it's at a incredibly stressful time, stressful on the business and the day-to-day operations of the business, the pandemic would be. But you guys seem to have popped above and said, even though this is the case, let's double down on our purpose and mission, which I want to hear more about. But what can we do to help the community, broader community? You did that in a really time, in a time of crisis. I mean, that speaks a lot to the company, to Providence, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think if some people find it hard to believe that a company's been around for 170 years and is actually thriving, um, most companies don't have that life cycle. And I, I believe that the reason is it gets, stems back to our mission 
um, and, and, and to really care for all, especially the poor and vulnerable. And if, if somebody is that type of individual that's driven by that, they're attracted to this um, organization and they, they put their whole heart and mind and soul, and we'll talk about caregiver experience, you know, some people call it employee engagement in a, in a bit maybe. Um, and, and that is really what can collectively make something like that happen, um, is the, the, the spirit, the willingness to give and, um, and to be creative no matter what you're facing. I mean, we, we went through the pandemic early in the 1900s and survived. Uh, and so um, mm. we unfortunately, again, maybe have some experience with that. And it really is um, uh, no matter what is happening around us, what can we do to make it better? I love it. And so, so Carlos, last question before we dive into the, the, the details of the company and the culture, but for you personally, what was your... Uh, culture aha moment? Was it at Providence? Was it before where you were like, wow, we need to really get culture right? Because I can tell you're all in, you know, typically, I know for me, my, my journey that that it took a while to get there. It was through, you know, hearing about Southwest Airlines and different places that I was like, wow, you know, I might naturally, you know, treat people well, for the most part, but I had no idea how big and powerful culture was. What was your aha moment? Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I, I think I've known it's been important. I've been in HR for my entire career. Um, and, and it's always been an element of my job and, and, and the importance of the executive teams. But I think it really hit home here at Providence. Um, I had been recruited for a number of years and, and they had sent me the company profile and, and you know, I read it and I was like, wow, this sounds too good to be true. And, and you know, it sounds like a, a little bit of motherhood and apple pie, right? Nobody's going to disagree with that. Well, I had some personal issues happen um, and, and it, it brought me to Providence uh, almost three years ago. And I knew the second I walked in that A, what Providence said about its culture was true and B, that I was home. After such a long career, this is the last place I will be. Uh, wow give my heart and soul because it is a personal mission, uh, not work. Um, and, uh, and, and I get to work with a lot of people who feel the same way, Ron. And that is beautiful. If that's the type of person you are, again, I know that this type of organization isn't for everybody. People are driven by a lot of different things. None's right or wrong. But when somebody gets to find an organization where the culture and the values and the purpose fit in the mission, it's beautiful. And so it sounds like the culture, which is beautiful, by the way, it, it's doing its job. As to your point, it's attracting the right people like yourself that will fit in beautifully. And, and uh, but it's repelling the people that won't. Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 and Ron, we're not very different from other companies where we do some things incredibly well and we, there's some areas to improve. And there are some people that, uh, you know, we've hired that have, most of the people we hired are incredibly successful. Every once in a while, someone gets hired that isn't successful, Ron. And either they choose to leave or they're asked to leave for whatever reason. And it's not because they're not technically good at their job. They're not a fit with the culture of the organization. And I, right. I think it's probably no different than most companies. Yeah, that makes sense. And, you know, one of the interesting facts is you, got, you said 107 years? The company, 170 years, the company's been around for and 115,000 employees. You know, most times culture gets lost as we grow, 
right? We add policy, we add procedure, we add complexity, bureaucracy, and it just kind of dies. Your culture seems to be flourishing. And so how, how does an organization at that, 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 that's, you know, that, that's got that much history um, and, and is that large, how does it get the message out there? Because I think a lot of people think ah, that, that, that's for small business. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I agree 100%. And it is hard to maintain a culture that long. And I think what we do incredibly well is from day one, even in the recruiting process, um, you can go on our website, you can see recruiting material. It is all about the mission, Ron. Like, like we have obviously a lot of clinical people. We also have people like myself that are in HR. We have finance people. We have IAS technology people. And um, you said it a minute ago very well. It will repel those that is, this is not a fit. This isn't what they're all about. Um, and so I think that from the very beginning, even before a caregiver um, joins, they know what we're all about. And then they have a choice to, hey, this is a fit. I'm, gonna, I wanna, I'm all in. And you, by the way, you said something at the very beginning about that you can't fake it. Like it's just there, right? The passion, the energy, and that comes through in candidates. So from the very beginning, even before they join, um, it's, it's very clear that this is what we're all about. Interview process, again, reinforces that, looks for that. The onboarding, um, we have an entire mission um, uh, program that we put new caregivers through to deepen their connection to the mission. And we start every meeting, Ron, and you can imagine how many meetings we have, a lot less during COVID, uh, but we're still having them with the reflection to make sure we connect back to our mission every meeting. So tell me more about the reflection. What's that look like? So reflection is really anything, any topic. It could be a quote. It could be something funny. It could be a picture that reminds us why we exist as an organization. And think about 115,000 people every day in every meeting being reminded of why we exist. It's really, really powerful. I've never seen that mm. in a professional career. And I love it. That's incredible. I, I want to go back uh, for a second because you, you said that, you know, even in the interview process, we're very clear about our mission. Mm -hmm. What does that look like? What are the some, is there strategies that you implement that are consistent throughout the organization that allow you to, to, to at least try to figure out, look, Ron, love it. We're interviewing you. You're going to participate in this mission or, or lean in or, Again, you're not a bad person, but you just don't fit here. What does it look like? Yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's a great question because it's one thing to have a mission or to look for a mission, but it's the actual tactics and how you screen people. And one of the things I look for, if I were interviewing you, Ron, I, I would probably ask you things as such as, tell me when you were most connected to the mission of your last company or any company, right? When did you feel that most strongly? Um, tell me about what you do in your community. Ron, beyond your work, like wh wh how do you get involved if you do it all? And by the way, some people will say, I don't get involved at all, right? Or I send a check to something. Okay, that's, a, that's okay. Not strong mission orientation, but the ones who do have it, they will speak it instantly, quickly. They'll talk about the first job they had where they really loved what they were doing and they've been looking for that. Or they'll talk about the deep engagement in their community. I go and help at the soup kitchen. I go and give back to this, or I go help these, or I volunteer to do this. And those are the ones where, um, you know, I, I get it. I'm like, okay, Ron, you get it. And, and you will thrive here because we'll create those, those types of uh, environment, that, that type of environment for you. 
So, so really digging into um, if I've had, if I've been passionate about something else, uh, at another mission of a different organization and consistency, and then you're saying, well, okay, this, this seems to line up. You've got the, you've got, you've got base camp of what we're looking for here. Ron, you can't fake it. If you have it, you have it. And if you don't, you don't. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with that, right? If you didn't have any of that, and I just said, well, it's maybe not the right opportunity for you. I still respect you. I, yeah. I admire you. It just won't allow you to do your best work if that's not what really drives you. And I we- love that you said it won't allow you to do your best work if this doesn't drive you. You, I think that it couldn't be said better. I love that. And it's interesting because I know in my my first career uh, business, I call it, I call it my, my first chapter of career. One of the big learnings for me was, was really starting to push at mission purpose, those types of things when it was too late. My mistake was um, doing it during the onboarding process and then finding out later on that, geez, that, that was a missed opportunity. And, you know, one of my aha moments was to your point, this should have been done in the interview. We really made a mistake. You know, we brought, we brought Carlos on and, it's our fault. You know, he, we didn't look f- to see if there was a connection to our purpose of changing the industry um, or if he was passionate about that. We told him later on once he's here, that was a, that was a mistake that we made. Did you guys always do it that way or how long, you know, cause that's a great strategy. Yeah, we have, it's been part of our DNA from the original sisters of Providence and sisters of St. Joe that started this organization so many years ago and they looked for people who were driven by the same passion that they did. And remember the original founders, really their passion was to identify and serve the needs of the community. And it really came out that it was healthcare. And think about 170 years ago, right? These weren't trained sisters that like were nurses and doctors and educators. They taught themselves nursing practices and to become teachers. So absolutely it's been part of the, I would say selection process for, for all those years and we continue it and it's, it's proven to be very successful. Love it. So, so I'm a, um, a caregiver in, in the, the Providence organization. Uh, I start, you know, I've, I've been screened, I've been onboarded. And, and so now I'm a month in, how do I see, you know, what is a company doing to continue to encourage me to, um, to connect with the mission and the values? What does it look like on a day-to-day basis? Absolutely. It's not sustainable if you don't continue to develop it and and, and make it top of mind. I I think we talked about the reflections, which is an everyday occurrence, and and it it reinforces the belief of why we're here and and, and what our our purpose is. Um, We have different mission formation programs, and that is a in particular, our leaders, we have about 7,000, um, we call them core leaders, people leaders, that um, we send through um, intense development um, programs, uh, mission and mentoring, it could be mission leadership formation. Uh, we have um, trips back to where we were founded. Um, we have connections to France and we have connections to Canada. Uh, oh, wow. So, we have uh, for our senior most leaders, a chance to go back and reflect and walk in the the footsteps of of the the people who came before us. And so all of that is to keep it top of mind and really to deepen a caregiver's ability to practice our mission in their lives and in their employment. And everybody will find a different way to do it, right? I happen to handle the human capital part of our, our business. We have 
finance professionals, we have technologists. We, in fact, we have some of the best and brightest technologists that are joining our company from you know, Google, Amazon, Microsoft, um, because they see the future of technology is healthcare. Like I can be a technologist anywhere. I wanna come do it in a mission-driven, purpose-driven organization to really transform healthcare. We're all concerned about healthcare. COVID just brought it to a forefront, right? So, um, so that's how we keep it alive um, in, in open, um, open forums, town halls, we will have, we have mission integration leaders that are assigned to every part of our business. Okay. What do they do? A mission. Imagine, so they, oh yeah. Imagine the investment in that, that you have assigned mission leaders. They could be a sister. They could be a layperson. Their purpose is to keep the mission integrated in everything we do. Wow. So Sister Suzanne, who is my mission integration partner for shared services. And we're on leadership teams together uh, we launched a, a, a business um, overseas recently, and she was right there with me, planning everything, making sure we had the mission, the values, and um, all of that top of mind. So it you know, was fascinating. How do you pick those people? You know, is it those who are just just kind of buzzing with the mission already? Like, how do you pick those folks? So, yeah, it's interesting uh, because they've come from all walks of life, but really it is, remember we were talking about how do you screen for mission, connection? These are the top 1% of that. So this has been their life mission. Everything they do revolves around fulfilling the mission and connecting to the mission and then deepening the mission themselves personally, but also the business. And so uh, I have several mission uh, integration leaders that I work with in different parts of the business. Um, and they are just a joy to work with and they challenge us, right? When we're, we're, we're we haven't even talked about the discernment process we have in our organization. Um, they will challenge us on our thinking and our decision-making and why we're considering that and why, how we're evaluating that and the impact that that's going to have on people, whether it's going to be fair and just. So, and I don't know if we've stated, can you state Providence's mission? Have we stated absolutely, that? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. As expression of God's healing love, witnessed through the ministry of Jesus Christ, we are steadfast in serving all, especially those who are poor and vulnerable. Wow, that's powerful. And, and the values, you, does the company have a you know, set values with, with sub-language? And I don't need you to read them out, but I'm just curious how many values they have. What are the guiding there's principles a, of values? There's only five. And some okay. jokingly call them DJ ICE, which is, and I won't go through all of them, but that, that's the acronym for each one. We actually have a biblical verse that um, reinforces each one and kind of solidifies it. And then we have two, three sentences that describes what it looks like. You mentioned earlier, how do you know it's taking root? How do you know that people are doing it? That describes what that looks like. Um, if, we're, if we're demonstrating excellence in everything we do, what does that look like? How do we know that we're doing it? And so that's um, having gone through a, a culture change in a prior organization, a very large health organization, in fact, the largest in the United States, um, the CEO announced on the day we were doing the new culture that this was the first day of a 30-year journey, 30-year journey. Wow. Culture, 30 years. Think about how far forward that has to be. And, and was it 30 years because they knew it was just such an uphill battle? It was going to take so long. It was such a beast. 
Yeah, when you have a, a, a culture that's embedded, right? And whether you're intentional about it or not, you have a culture, right? It's just the way things are done. We say default or design. Default or design, exactly. And so um, the, what the CEO would ask, and so yeah, very large company, obviously a lot of momentum. And think about everybody who's grown up in that organization that has demonstrated the current value. By the way, there was only one value <laughs> and it was performance. Um, and so think about the implications of that, right? Um, and so to get people to change their thinking, their mindset, that and the question I kept getting, being asked was, how do I know it's taking root? How do I know with, you know, however many uh, caregivers or employees we had that people were actually um, demonstrating those values, that our people practices were reinforcing those values, right? Both in the, the, the entire employee life cycle, right? From recruiting to onboarding to performance management, talent development and exiting people that it was actually real and not just words on a paper. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. Um, that must have been, I'm sure you learned a lot going through that journey. Oh, it was fantastic. It was, uh, back, you asked me about when I knew that culture you know, was really important and what it was like. I think that was my first experience in how powerful culture was. You know, you've heard the saying, culture eats strategy for breakfast, you know, that kind of whatever the, the term is. Um, that's when it became real for me that for a CEO of a successful, actually a fortune six company, think about that, wow. willing to put all that aside and say, we need something different, new and better because what got us here won't get us there. Right. There's been books written about that. That's was that, that, was that a new CEO, Carlos, or was that, was that someone who just said, look, we're getting it wrong. It's time to pivot. And they had the courage to do that. It was a new CEO. And, okay. And, that gives that gives a new CEO the right and the, almost the mandate to chart their path forward. And if everything's working, maybe it's maintaining, right? Maybe it's like, hey, everything's working. And, and I remember him saying the values and culture that got us here, that's made us this big and this successful is not going to get us to our desire. In other words, it's not sustainable. We have to change now. And think about investing today for a 30-year change. Um, that's phenomenal. It is because you're, you're making commitments to the unknown. You don't know what you don't know. And so that's great. It's not, you know, this investment gets us to X. We know what the, the two plus two is not four in this equation, you know? Um, Hard to do an ROI on just culture, right? <laughs> absolutely. Especially when you're, when, when the value has been performance, which is ROI based, let's call it, you know, profit based, and then you're going to make a big pivot. So, what was the outcome of all that? Did, did things work out for that company? Did they get yeah, a big so, ROI in the end? So I, I did work for that organization about seven years and um, it changed. It was not a complete you know, upward trend of change. It was a couple steps forward, a step back. We had some people who didn't believe it. It was, you know, we were just gonna go back to the way it was. Well, in that time, the company did actually better than it had done in the past. Profitable-wise, growth-wise, we were able to you know, shrink businesses, invest in new businesses, caregiver experience or well, employee engagement, I call it caregiver experience now here, uh, went up in the midst of massive change, which actually it did at Providence as well. Um, yeah, I want to talk about that too. I've got that up. Yeah, and so that's when you know it's working, Ron, is, is when people feel good about it and the results show, you know, whatever the results are, whether it's engagement, whether it's um, financial performance, operational performance. Um, and and well, so 
yeah, it, it was working at now. I mean, how long ago is that? That's probably eight years ago. So, you know, eight years into a 30 year journey, the company continues to grow and remain profitable. So, wow. Yeah. Working. So it's big ROI. And before we get to the results of the survey, something you said to me in our last conversation, which really surprised me was the participation rate of the survey. It was not, it was something like 90%. H- how does a company that size get 90%? Like that's already like, to me says, it's either really good or really bad. It's, it's like, we need to tell this company it's all bad, which we know isn't the case. <laughs> for you. It's wow. We are connected to this business so much. You tell me more. How do you get to 90% being this large of a, of a, of a company. Yeah. Unheard of in my career, by the way, Ron, I mean, I, I, I was happy in some companies to get to 70%. Like we were already, you know, top, you know, 20% or 10% across the, the nation to get to actually it was 89.7, but let's just round up to 90. I like 90 on a big number that is, that is out of this world. And I think what it is, you're right. Um, people who have something to say will participate. Um, I think the biggest thing I, I think I mentioned to you in our last call, I, I teach um, HR analytics at USC. And one of the things that I, I teach my students is if you're going to ask for feedback, please share the results and actually do something to make things better. And that's what I think Providence does exceptionally well. Um, we, in fact, just got the results um, uh, recently. Uh, and we have shared it with the senior leadership. We've now cascaded it to the divisions and the regions and the lines of business. We're now cascading it to the pillars within those, those uh, business units. And, um, and then we do really, really well, and we keep it simple. Sometimes, Ron, people can overcomplicate a caregiver experience action planning or employee engagement action planning by, you know, I don't know, either not doing it, which is the worst case, right? Then you lose the trust of your folks. Why am I going to give you feedback, Ron, if you're not going to do anything with it? So share the results and we're my team and and partners with the business to help them do that. Meet with them to understand what that feedback means. And and I'm going to be real intentional here because every one of these steps is really important. And if, if a leader, and I've seen this happen, assumes they know what the feedback means, they may go down a different path that is not going to be valuable to their, to their caregivers. So understand what this means. Really talk through the strengths because you want to, you know, yes, you want to improve things, but you also want to leverage the strengths you have, right? How do we maintain those? And then pick just a handful of things that you can control and have you know, some, some influence over to make it better. And, and I do an interesting exercise with, with my team where I will go through all that, we'll understand it, we'll have people like, confidentially write little sticky notes, right? Communication means this, or senior leadership means that, or trust means this. Put it all up there, we'll summarize them, and then I'll I'll give them three um, dots, although now we're doing it virtually, so it makes it a little harder. Um, And they will go and they'll pick the ones that they want us to work on. And inevitably, every single time, whether it's with the business or mine, it coalesces around three things, right? Two or three things, maybe four but usually it's around three and those are the ones we pick. And then we put an action plan together. We put targets, we put people in charge. And by the way, I don't do this myself or my leadership team. The caregivers themselves run this. It is their caregiver experience action plan. We support it, we enable, we invest, but they get to pick what they wanna work on. They love that. And so think about that process. We pick it, we make it visible all year round. Right before the next survey, we do a wrap up of appreciation for their work on it. We um, share what we accomplished and what we didn't. And by the way, sometimes they ask for things wrong and the answer is no. 
And by the way, sometimes we get the greatest feedback on that. Like, thank you for listening, taking it seriously and answering the question, like having the guts to like come back to us. That's huge. And people get afraid of that. Like, I can't tell them, no, they're going to mark me down next year. Oh no, it's going to create incredible trust, especially if you explain why. Right. And, and so when you see initiatives too, and that they have the autonomy to run these, it sounds like, again, the company just does a great, got the feedback. Here's what we're going to do. They pick the initiatives. And so those are different in different places. Oh gosh. Yeah. It's as specific as the team itself, Ron. What might be important to my team might have no relevance to my business uh, partner's team. They may have something completely different. In fact, one of them was uh, um, trust in senior leadership for one group that I support. And, uh, and what they did is they had, um, this is our, our IS organization, they had the CIO interview on a fireside chat, every one of our senior leaders, like they became human, right? They weren't just these big leaders out there that nobody really knew, they're vulnerable. Our scores went off the charts, 81% positive on senior leaders this year. So that's the intentionality of, of, of that and the specificity of what that team needed, right? They were just disconnected and uh, and the, the committee, I didn't come up with this, I helped enable it, but they decided what if our CIO interviewed these people and talked to them about the impact on their careers and the technology in the company. Oh my gosh, and by the way, that went viral. Like everybody's seen those fireside chats, not just the technology part of our business. Wow. So yeah, whatever specific to that business that, that they have ability to impact, go do it. So, so because the results were very positive, right? You get the, the survey results came out and you, I think you said it was one of the top results that you guys have had for a long time or to date it or is. something like that. What are some of the key things that drove that from your perspective? You talked about some of those already. Anything else that was key to, this is, this is how we did it. This is, you know, this was some of the action items that, that, that allowed us to have such a positive impact on our, uh, on our caregivers and, and stakeholders. Yeah, I think it's a combination, Ron. I think there's some things that we did well this year. Um, think about in the the chaos and change of 2020 that all of us experienced. Um, we did communication really well. We let people know what was going on. We provided certainty as soon as we could uh, with what we knew and let them know what we didn't know and when we would know. And so I think that level of communication is, is really great. Um, and so I think that was helpful to, to, to drive that. Um, I think the, the and I, I had a deeper dive just last week with uh, folks because our, our, um, our measure of, of our caregivers um, happiness with our total rewards went up five points. And you know, in most companies, people want more money or they feel like they should have better benefits, right? You know, just, it, it's never been our strength. It's been kind of middle of the road. It just shot through the roof. And I asked a, a smaller group of people, I said, tell me you know, a little more about this. What does this mean? They said, Carlos, I'm just happy and thankful to have a job. I'm thankful. And with you. And, and with me, yeah. And, and I'm yeah. thankful to have a boss that cares. And I'm thankful to, you know, to, with everybody knows somebody impacted, whether somebody's died or been in the hospital or has lost a job or been furloughed. And so I think, well, I think we did some things incredibly well the pandemic and the associated you know, economic uh, collapse and then recovery has put things in people's perspective that, man, I really had it good. And, um, and I, I don't know if we, we didn't do anything for that, right? It was just a, maybe a recipient of that, but being able to keep that top of mind and, um, and show the appreciation that you know, we don't just pay you 
because you're a nice person, Ron, we pay you to fulfill our mission back to tying it back to the mission. Everything's tied back every conversation, right? Every single thing all the time. And by the way, they get it right. It's not me pushing it. They're bringing it up. And, um, and then that's the, that's the other thing is um, they appreciate Mm -hmm. uh, the ability to do that, to fulfill that. So let me ask you about this hot topic. We talked a little bit about this, but social injustice and how does Providence, you know, big company, how do they deal with that internally, externally? Yeah. So, um, you know, social justice, the opposite of that and um, health equity, which is kind of our, our focused area has just been a part of our company forever. And so we have a diverse board, we have diverse executive staff, we have diversity throughout our our organization, which is great. And we have been focused, remember our mission statement to serve, uh, to be steadfast in serving all those, especially those that are poor and vulnerable. That's, this has just brought all that social injustice, you know, the, the murder of George Floyd, which just set the world on fire. And, And to me is a tipping point of those who were, on the sidelines, like, Ron, I'm not a racist, but I'm not an anti-racist, right? I, I'm just, I'm not doing anything about it. I'm just not. I don't like, think about it. I don't think. Yeah, I don't think about it. It's not an issue. My life. It's not in my heart. That people who have felt that way their entire life are now actually saying, this is not acceptable. I'm going to do something. I want to be part of the solution. So um, in some ways that that's been a great tipping point for, for uh, more focus on justice. And, and I think the tipping point is it's no longer ever going to go back the way it was that certain things or practices that you know, may not be the best or not are, are going to be acceptable and hopefully find solutions. One of the things that we um, doubled down on this year and our, um, our, our president and CEO, Dr. Rod Hockman, um, announced uh, a couple months ago he said, it's great that that's our values and we're a just company and we focus on health inequities. We're investing an additional $50 million over the next five years to tackle that specifically in our markets for healthcare. So how that manifests itself, which is fantastic, right? That's putting your money where your mouth is, is we will go into the communities and, and you've seen the studies probably, Ron, that COVID has um, disproportionately impacted people of color. In, in particularly the Latino and the, and the black communities in, in the United States. And so going into those communities with more education, more testing, right? We know how tests um, are, are at a premium and making that a priority, priority for care. You know, we serve people with, you know, with no care if they can pay or not. In fact, I think we shared last time, we uh, have a community benefit of, of mostly free care of about a billion and a half dollars a year. Think about that. That's bigger than most people, many people's companies or, or let alone their, their profit or their it's huge. So we have to run the rest of the company really well to be able to do that. But that's how we personally are attacking social justice. Um, our leaders, our thought leaders are interviewed by CNN and other organizations about this topic in and of itself. And while I will not say Providence is perfect by any means, in fact, the human capital part of our business, we're deep diving on every process to make sure there's no hidden biases and, and things that may um, impact somebody. Um, and you know, I'll give you an example, like just where do we recruit from? If we're recruiting from a university that primarily has white graduates, you're gonna get a white you know, workforce right. versus maybe a, a historically black you know, college and university source, just as an example. So those little things that add up over time 
make a difference. And think about every people process in an organization. You know, you've, you've worked at companies from uh, the hiring to the uh, performance um, uh, management process to the promotional process uh, to the visibility of projects, right? That's how people develop is, is getting visibility um, and the exiting process, et cetera, et cetera, the pay practices, all of it. We're not, we're not taking any of it for granted. Um, as good as you know, we may, may be, we're going to work to continue to get better. Well, <clears throat> one thing that kind of sh- shines as, as you're talking is it's hard enough for the leaders to have individual awareness, but it sounds like Providence has organizational awareness. Hey, we're aware that this is where we need to focus. We need to, to put our resources here. Um, and then they're not leaving any rock unturned. You know, I love that. It's, it's, it takes a lot of courage too, a lot of reflection for an organization to do. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Um, justice and integrity are two of those um, values that we talked about earlier. And if you think about if that is in your DNA, then why wouldn't we do that, right? Why wouldn't we acknowledge where we have some shortcomings and and what we're doing to get better? And um, even our, our workforce loves that, that we're not, you know, corporate people that are perfect and put on a, an air, we know what we're good at. We're humble about it. And yet we continue to, to admit when we can do better. And I think that's, you know, back to, uh, you were talking about caregiver experience and the 90% participation. That's what our caregivers love about this is, is the authenticity um, that there's not errors and there's not an image. It's just, here's where we're at and here's what we need to do. And, and there's a, there's a peace and comfort in so back to awareness, you know, uh, obviously this company is very innovative, not just with technology, but with their people and culture. What's next, Carlos? What, what, what's next on the horizon? When you look two, three years out, what's going to be the biggest challenge for Providence? And, and what are some of the initiatives that you guys are pushing out to stay ahead? Because this never ends. Yeah, no, I, I think um, when you have a platform this large, Ron, um, there's a lot you can do to influence. Um, and for us, it's health outcomes of the communities we serve. And as we continue to grow, um, two things I would say. One is maintaining that culture and those values as real as we grow. You know, as we get another 10,000, 20, 50,000 caregivers, how do we maintain it? So we're, we're going to be uh, focused on that. But really the bigger focus for us, in addition to just serving the tens of millions we serve a year and doing it really well and having healthy outcomes, is the digital innovation and the simplicity of healthcare. I know healthcare in Canada is complex. Although I'd say a little simpler than the US, you can imagine how complex it is here with a $3 trillion industry and multiple payers and multiple systems and providers and none of it connected, right? Interoperability. Is, uh, is not very good. So part of what we're doing, the thought leadership is how do we make it simple? How do we connect all those levels, the payers, the providers, et cetera, et cetera, on the, on the acute side, on the um, ambulatory side, all of the digital records, right? That, that, that um, uh, doctors have and that the clinics have and imaging has, how do we connect that all together? And obviously there's safety concerns and privacy concerns and technology concerns, that's the next frontier, Ron. Can you imagine how better life would be if healthcare was as simple as your banking? And you may not be enough to remember going into a bank and standing in I line. I do, believe it or not. 
or withdraw money, right? You actually had to go talk to a teller or, or someone where now you want to check your balances, transfer money, open accounts, open credit, increase credit lines. You just do it instantly on your app, right? And it's just done. That's what I hold in my career. And I, you know, I probably have another 10 years left of, of my career. I hold that in my mind that if we can get healthcare to that level, we will have left this place a better place. I love that because, you know, there's this notion of as businesses grow, they add complexity. We talked about this a little earlier, but the real question is how do you simplify as you scale? And you guys are just doubling down on that. And it sounds like you're looking at it from both sides, all stakeholders, you know, um, the caregivers, the customers, how do we make things leveraging technology systems processes easier for everyone to use? So it, it changes the overall experience. Yeah, I think that's um, simplify. I think we have three main pillars of focus, right, in our, in our business in terms of helping drive the business forward. We actually only have six key metrics for performance. They're called our, our metrics in common that the board reviews. In other words, the sum of, and we have other measures, right, operational measures, quality measures, people measures, financial measures. But there's ultimately six measures, and we don't need to go through all of them, but uh, that the board and the executive council look at to measure our performance as an organization. Talk about keeping it simple, right? right? Everything that everybody does rolls up into those metrics and they go back and forth and they change sometimes. It's been the same for the last couple of years. And, um, and that's when you can, people can tackle one, two or three things. They can't tackle 57 things or focus on them. And that's right. we're in the midst of goal setting. And so we're, we really limit the number of goals that a leader can have to five, five, that's it. Ron, you're going to do these five things. This is your task. And is that gonna, quarterly, yearly? What does that look like? Uh, so, um, so for example, um, we usually have, are you talking about the goals themselves or the process? Yeah. Sorry. J- just the goals. If I'm a leader, is that, is that per year or is that per yeah, quarter? It's annual. So we have an annual review process and, and the goals are, uh, part of how we just know how you did, right? And then we can have a conversation. And, and I always I always love this part. And we're getting into that. Our, our fiscal year ends in December when I deal with our senior executives and I ask them, let's say you're one of our senior executives, Ron, we're going to now do the assessment of your team's performance. We're going to uh, dole out rewards. What's the story you want to tell? What's the message you want them to hear? You had a great year. You had a medium year or not so good year and the rewards have to follow that. So back to the, which are powerful to the rewards that reinforce that. And then the development of people, Ron, you had a great year. You're going to get an overly weighted um, reward financially. Um, we're, We're going to work with you on development because we think you can be more potential. And then it's that annual cycle, right? That, that most companies have, um, and so from now until probably March is some of the fu- most fun I have in our company. That's great. Carlos, in closing, is there anything that we didn't talk about that you'd like to say? Anything that was unsaid today that you th- think would, would be valuable? I think the only thing that we didn't talk about I think might be valuable is there is a groundswell of, of effort and desire. And I don't know how to put it into words. Maybe the the one word that probably describes it is for more love in the world. And I don't mean a John Lennon song or a cup or a phrase. I mean, true love. And, and, and I'm reading a book called Daring Greatly by Brene Brown. I don't know if you've met, read it. 
all talks about vulnerability, which you could substitute vulnerability for love. And and if there was that, think of how good the world would be. We'd resolve things. We'd figure things out. We'd be compassionate with each other. Empathetic. Um, Other's best interests. And I don't want that to sound like, again, motherhood and apple pie, where everybody agrees with that. That's what you know, drives me personally. And, and, and I can articulate in a lot of different ways, but it's part of my personal mission statement. And um, I think if there was more of that, things would be easier. They wouldn't be easy. They'd be easier. Look, well said, Carlos. It's, uh, I, I love this conversation. I've really enjoyed the time I get to spend with you. So we're very, uh, very humbled and honored to have you as a guest. And thank you for your uh, your insights. It's uh, It's been a wonderful episode. Thanks, Carlos. Thank you, Ron. Really appreciate And uh, you're doing some great work for your listeners. Thank you. For more information on Carlos or anything else related to scaling culture, please see the show description for details. If you're enjoying listening, don't forget to subscribe for more episodes. We'll be back next week with another incredible guest.